This Week in Startups is brought to you by SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes. Save time and money no matter what you ship or mail. Try it free for 30 days and get a free 10-pound scale when you visit pb.com slash twist. Dell for entrepreneurs. Level up your hardware today and save up to 43% by going to dell.com slash twist. And Fiverr. Find the perfect freelance services for your business. Go to fiverr.com and use code TWIST to receive 10% off your first order. That's F-I-V-E-R-R.com and use promo code TWIST. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. We've got a news roundtable for you today, and I'm lucky enough to have the team from Robin Hood Snacks on the podcast. Jack Kramer and Nick Martell are with me. Welcome, boys. Thank Great you, to Jason. be here. All right. Now, well, just... Point of water. Yeah. One person talks at a time on That's the radio, not the same time. You can't be in sync the whole time. And we'll, and we'll go off names here. So this is Nick. This is Jack. Right. We should make that clear. Yes. Um, and you started Market Snacks as an independent podcast. We started as a media company back in 2011 in secret when we were working at banks. November 2011. But we started our friendship four and a half years prior. That's true. Right, Freshman year roommates. Didn't ask anything about this bromance. <laughs> <laughs> it's clearly you guys. Straight the to the Wikipedia. Out. You guys roommates as well? Uh, pretty much, Were you yeah. roommates at some point? We were. Total serendipity. Freshman year roommates. Walked into the room. Jack had the same protein shake as me and the same daily show DVDs. No, I had season three of Seinfeld. You had season four. That's true. And we were watching The Daily Show wow. on Hulu, which had just launched. That was like a cool new thing. Little do we know there was going to be a Roku, a Hulu, a Tibu, a, a Fubo, voodoo. a Voodoo. Where would you guys go? Columbia? Middlebury College. Met at Middlebury College. Where's yeah. that? Year. Vermont. Beautiful state. Come on. Jason, I thought we went have over colleges there. in Vermont? <laughs> All right, just take it easy. All the fans from Vermont are emailing. <laughs> Stop composing. I'm just trolling. So you start this Market Snacks. It becomes a podcast, a newsletter. What is it? it Trolling a, on Twitter? No, it was a blog. We had a, a WordPress 1099 a month. Uh, we blog. started a blog in November of 2011. And actually, on that day, we wrote our first blog post. We have not missed a day of market action when the New York Stock Exchange is open since. And that wow. began with us. Literally, we'd get out of our bank jobs. We recognized one day that business news just was not communicating with our generation. Right. We committed to doing it every day since then. And we literally would like get out of bank jobs, be on the subway, texting what stories to cover, curating the stories relevant to our generation, and getting it out later that night. The daily blog became a daily email newsletter which expanded to video, like TV appearances, giving the millennial perspective on finance. Got it. Which expanded to a podcast. And when you say the millennial perspective on finance, you mean, is this the month where I get off mom and dad's Netflix and <laughs> yeah. go on my own and take out my credit card? We did a whole segment Trick question, by the way. You never password. get off the Netflix password. <laughs> okay. Now, password mooching is still strong. Yeah. Now, do you have driver's licenses? Yes. When did you get them? 16. Actually, in Vermont, you get a learner's permit when you're 15. In New York, I was one of the very few who got a driver's license. Yes. Okay. Nick's, now, when Nick drove up to Middlebury College to oh, meet yeah. me as his freshman year roommate, this was it's the first time he had ever made a gradual turn with the wheel. I don't know. Because in Manhattan, it's 90 degree <laughs> angles. That's yeah, it. yeah. You have it really. Like, like, squares, ah! the, squares the entire time. It's yeah. a grid. It's yeah. a grid system. It's easy to understand. It's thoughtful. There's, I mean, Broadway does go against the grid. 
That's, that's but in like a very it. specific way. Yes. It hits each of those, Columbus Circle, Herald Square. It does it very organized fashion. It's the only road that goes tip to tip on Manhattan. Now, True. as millennials, you go to college, you guys meet each other, and then whose mom's basement do you move back into? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's Do we find another mom? There actually should be like a, How does that a platform for that. We both got gigs, actually, in finance you both got like, jobs right after. Finance. Yes. Yeah. Where'd you go? Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs? I went Sachs. to Comance Bank or Commerce Bank, which is a German bank with a New York branch. And right. I was at UBS. So Jack was down in the financial district, and I was up in Midtown. UBS. This is yeah. the bank that uh, backed Trump. No, that, that was Deutsche. Deutsche. Oh, that's Deutsche. Right, right. But UBS is a legit bank. Yeah, it's Swiss. <laughs> yeah, it's Swiss. They're yeah. not like criminals. No. Well, yeah, they're not they're, laundering. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're not Swiss. laundering money. Yeah, no one. No, they can't talk about it. They can't talk about yeah. it. But Deutsche Bank. Different story. Different story. They might be very into Russian money mm-hmm. and turning it from rubles into U.S. dollars. Mm. What's a great way to do that? Real estate. Yeah. It's a great city to buy real estate in. New York. New York. Yeah. And yeah. Florida. Yeah. Oh, wait. Hmm. Interesting. I think so wait. Deutsche Bank actually owns a couple casinos. They do, in fact. Because they lent yeah. to casinos, not just Trump's casinos, but yeah. other casinos, which went bankrupt, and they repossessed casinos and are running casinos. Really? Interesting. Okay. Now, at some point, Robin Hood. Oh, my Robin Hood. Yum, mm-hmm. yum. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Robinhood from mm-hmm. the early days. It's done okay from what I understand. I don't get very many updates from Vlad. Uh, but uh, from what I understand, I read in the trades, they're doing okay. How yeah. does Vlad update investors, actually? He doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> if you had a re- preferred way, we can deliver a message. Yeah, just a, a, an email every year. Okay. Just how many paid members we have or something. I, I don't really ask them. Yeah. You know, when you're an investor, an angel investor, you when you don't get updates, it means one of two things. The company is going to go public and you're going to make a ton of money or the company is about to go out of business and they're going to be asking you for a bridge any minute. Yeah. It's one of those two. Yeah. So you just take the good with the bad. If you don't hear from them, you just hope it's the one out of 20 times that this is (laughs) Uber. (laughs) Didn't hear from Travis for six months until he was like, yeah, by the way, we just closed that 20 billion. Close what? He's like, money, revenue. The infrequent email seems to be the optimal Well, the funniest moment with Uber was they had asked them- what the share price was. They told mm-hmm. me the share price. And then I when I calculated what I had and I said, wow, that's incredible. And they said, oh, do, you, you, that's, where'd you get that share count from? And I said, well, I'm just looking at the documents. They said, oh, you, you don't know about the seven to one? And I said, what's the seven to one? And they said, we did a seven to one stock split. I said, what does that mean? It says, well, you have seven times the number of shares. Wow. Whoa. And I was like, hold on one second. I said, I'm on hold. And I was Angel life. Right, Jesus. <laughs> um, all right. <clears throat> So at some point, you guys are chugging along. Did you get to like multiple people? Or is this a two-man show and then Vlad wants to buy it? What happened? This is like How literally, this well, this is a few years down the line. We've been, we were growing as a side hustle. Like there are right. points where Jack is on business in Germany. I'm on business in, in Brazil. And we're like still, we're making market snacks happen. There are times where Jack and I are like, before we go to work, we're putting, you know, going down to the New York Stock Exchange, having makeup put on our face, appearing on Cheddar TV, doing a hit at CBS, then going to our day jobs, and then running the newsletter in the evening. We both disclosed outside business interests to our banks. Very true. Eventually. Yes. Right that's before true. we monetized. And that's Got when we it. started going with like an ad And how quickly did model. they pull you into HR? And what is that conversation like? Uh, I came up voluntarily. Yeah. Um, we actually didn't have our names on marketsnacks.com for mm-hmm. the Clearly. first like year and a half. Yeah. True. Uh, because we were nervous. We just didn't want them to shut it down. Yeah. But then we had our first advertiser, our first revenue stream. This was back in like early 2013, I think. Yeah. And then we're like, this is clearly a business. Oh, and we opened an LLC at that point. Yeah. And that's when I went to Henning von Gersdorf. 
great guy, my German boss. And yeah. I was I like, sure, he's got a great sense I of humor. Pitched yeah. it with my buddies. <laughs> I pitched it with my buddies. How Check is he going to tell this? So I convinced him that market snacks, you know, we're covering financial news every day. I will be able to talk to my clients about the financial markets. Yeah. I'll be a better writer. I'll be a better worker. There we go. That's why you should approve this. And right. he did. And, and so, did he, he didn't say to you like, well, you built this while we were here. And so we own it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what percentage do we own? No, Nick and I were smart enough snacks. to use our personal email addresses. Yes. And texting. Snacks newsletters. You know, this was actually a key. Did you update the blog from our laptop? <laughs> and Nicholas? We, this is something we learned early on, which is, I think, really different from a couple decades ago, which is companies are really much more open to the idea of you having a side, a side hustle. hustle. Yeah. And if you're upfront and communicate this properly, this is a great way to incubate an idea. The opposite of what you did. Ask for forgiveness, not permission. Yeah, great. That's well, another option. No, wait, you went to your boss as well? I actually had by chance just changed company to work for a venture firm in New York. Oh, really? Endeavor. Which one? Uh, it's called Endeavor. It's actually a nonprofit structured like a venture firm. They have an arm out here called Catalyst, which is very okay. cool. Chobani is a... An Endeavor company, He's right? in, No, it's not, but that'd be really you cool. You mean the uh, Greek yogurt, Chobani? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's focused on emerging markets and basically reaching scale-up entrepreneurs in emerging markets. So you guys start making a little cheddar. Yes. And then what? Robin Hood's like, we want to create something? Or yeah, you so guys got them as an advertiser? How did you mean? So we were, we were uh, the two-person company. We were yeah. the host of the newsletter. Um, we... We generated our own revenues through our own ad sales. Eventually, we went full in on Market Snacks, and we gave it our 100% focus in the summer of 2018. Did you quit your job? Uh, Actually, we had gone to business school, both of us. We basically University of Michigan. And I was at Warden, and we saw business school as actually an accelerator, like a way for us to take classes, put the info right back into the product, which we actually were doing like with the marketing class in particular. So instead of taking a typical MBA internship, uh, Nick and I... I, I like sought financing from the Entrepreneur Center at Michigan. They gave me some money to like do my own thing. Sweet. And we put everything into Market Snacks and we launched our podcast in May of 2018. And that took Market Snacks to a new level. Right. That then was our second core product. And that was our major differentiator. We got Is in- there like a move where like you blink with your left eye to let him know you're done talking? Because can- <laughs> the, the amount of time between when you stop talking and he starts is the same as the time between your words individually. It's a wavelength interpretation thing we established freshman year. Look, he visited me in Berlin just did it. when yeah. I was studying abroad. There we just, go. We played, you know, a whole bunch of drinking games in college. Wait, Countless can sports. I get in on this? So wait, you do it to him and then you do it to me. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> and no, you, you got to do it to him. So tell me about when you met Vlad. So we met Vlad after we so actually let me just back you up for one yeah. second um robin hood approached us and said hey you guys have a cool newsletter we th- we'd love to reach your audience with an ad perfect so they were the yeah. newsletter sponsor for one week but they were asking questions that seemed a little beyond the realm of the business transaction right it was like much more like we had we had taken a, a round of investment from a company called rough draft ventures earlier that summer and the meeting we had with robin hood's marketing department was much more like that fundraising round they're asking so us- then they said <laughs> Hey, at some point, what do you guys think about the future of Market Snacks? Have you thought about your future? We said we're thinking big. We want to be the top financial source for people under 36. And then we shared more that we basically would have put in a pitch deck to an investor. And did you get stock or cash when you made the acquisition? Both. We can't talk about all the details of the acquisition, but it really was... A unique moment because that entire summer and the few months afterwards negotiating it were just an incredible experience. So do you regret taking some cash instead of all stock? We have no regrets about it. No, no regrets. No regrets now. I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. No, no regret wait, with the acquisition. How big was did 
Robin Hood. That was pretty funny, by the way. <laughs> uh, go watch the video on YouTube if you're listening. On Robin Hood, did you take... Uh, what I want to know is, at what point did Robin Hood buy? Were they between their Series A or the Series B when we get back on This Week in Startups? Shipping can be complex. We all know that. And with the uncertainty over costs and deciding which carrier to use, plus going and tracking your packages, things can get confusing quick. Well, with SendPro Armline, it's easy to save time and money no matter where you send from, from letters to packages to overnights. And flats easily compare USPS, UPS, and FedEx in an all-in-one online tool. Print shipping labels and stamps from your own printer and track all of your shipments and get email notifications when they've arrived. Plus, plus when the USPS postal rates increased on January 27th, you'll still be able to access savings of up to 40% off USPS priority mail shipping and $0.05 cents off every letter you send just by using SendPro online. So here is your call to action. SendPro Online is only $14.99 a month, and listeners can get a free 30-day trial when you visit pb.com slash twist, pb.com slash twist. You'll also receive a free 10-pound scale to help you weigh your packages and accurately calculate the cost of shipping so you'll never overpay. I do that all the time. I'm putting too many stamps on things because I don't have that scale uh, until I went to pb.com slash twist. That's pb.com slash T-W-I-S-T. Experience the convenience of SendPro Online for yourself when you sign up for that free 30-day trial. We have it here. We use it. We love it. It works. I send people copies of my book all the time. We save a ton of money, uh, which is important. You're on a budget. You want to make sure you're frugal. Go ahead and go to pb.com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, Jack and Nick from... Robin Hood Snacks, FKA, Market Snacks, are with us. They sold their newsletter, podcast, media conglomerate to my Robin Hood, which I'm an investor in. Uh, and uh, they may have taken some cash in stock, so they're pretty pretty happy about themselves, which is a smart move. Uh, I think selling to Robin Hood was a good idea. If you get a chance to get on a rocket ship, why not do it? Were they at Series A, Series B? How big was Robin Hood at the time when you guys sold to them? Well, we announced... Robin Hood Snacks was launching in March of last year, March of 2019. And okay. I think the most recent fundraise occurred in the summer after that. Uh huh. So not at its current valuation, but Got the it. one before that. Got it. So four or five billion. Yeah, Something nicely like done, that. boys. Nicely yeah. done. Well, I think it's 10x from here. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're here to talk a little bit. You guys know how I met Robin Hood, right? I told you guys. Well, no, we'd love to. We, we would love to hear more details. All I heard we was Antonio's. Really yeah. So we're at, all right. So a friend of mine, Adeo. And by the way, you're not getting any commission a day, so just calm down. I know there's a long text message coming. He runs something called the Founders Institute, uh, which basically is like you pay 500 bucks or 1000 bucks, and you go to what would happen before an accelerator like Launch or Techstars or Y Combinator. They kind of teach you how to be a, uh, an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So you don't necessarily have to have your idea there. Anyway, he asked me to come speak at it. I speak at it. Turns out Adeo was roommates with Elon Musk. Um in college. So they're good friends and I'm friends with Elon as well. And they said, Hey, let's go to Antonio's nut house after the founders Institute. So I go with them. So it's me, Elon and Adeo sitting there and Rob and, uh, is that the dive? Vlad. Bar on it's the dive. It's the divest of dive bars. It basically coronavirus is already there. <laughs> it's just waiting. <laughs> coronavirus waiting, having a beer, no handshakes there. It's all fist bumps. You don't want to even walk in the door. I think they took yeah. the door off. Because just because the handle would be, and, there are better uses for a door at a bar. Uh, you, you don't want to touch this door handle. Anyway, 
uh, we go, and this kid comes out to me, and I said, hey, two guys. I said, what do you do? And uh, he's, they say, we're quants. Mm-hmm. And I say, what's a quant exactly? And they say, you don't know what a quant is? I was like, no. And it's like long before um, uh, billions. Uh-huh. They it's say, a finance term. It's a finance term. I figured that out. Yeah. And I he said, well, we're quantitative analysis. I was like, is that where you like write an algorithm and then you beat the market? He's like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Tell me about your startup. And he goes, how do you know we have a startup? I said, well, you recognize me. <laughs> Only one way. <laughs> and I said, uh, so what's the idea? And he says, uh, well, we want to get millennials to trade stocks. Mm-hmm. I said, let me stop you right there, kid. Millennials are still on their parents' Netflix accounts. They're living in their basement eating fish chips, you know, fish sticks and playing Xbox. You got to do what you got to do. Like, this is the last thing they're thinking about is their retirement and like what stock to buy for 60 years from now. He's like, yeah, that's the opportunity. If we do get them to trade, we'll own them. We'll be mm-hmm. the first people to do something directly for millennials to get trade stocks. Yeah. I said, okay. Okay, I'll go with it. Sure, big market, untapped. Everybody's afraid to do it. Sure, retail investors went away after 2008. Was there a product yet, by the way, or is no. this still an idea? That's an idea. And I said, uh, what's the business? He goes, that's the best part. Uh, we're not going to charge people. I said, okay, let me just make sure I got this. Let me <laughs> repeat it back to you. You're going after a group of people who have never bought stocks before and by all indications have no interest in planning for their future. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most planning a millennial is doing is like weekend two of Coachella or weekend one. We're That's taking kinda... a lot of heat here, Jack. We're taking <laughs> a saying, lot uh, of heat. <laughs> I'm biting my lip. Which 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 weekend do you go to? Weekend one, Coachella, weekend two. Anyway, you always go weekend two. Right? When your because, roommate's out of town. Well, no, because then you know which stages. <laughs> who did a good performance last week? Yeah. You know, you know Beyonce killed it, so you want to make sure you get there early for Beyonce. You don't know that week millennials one. Millennials killed Woodstock is what it's, he's Absolutely. It's pro tips. So anyway, pro tips. I said, so your plan is to go after a group of people who have no indication that they want to plan past Coachella, and then you're going to monetize them by making it free. He said, yep. I said, I'm in. That's a no-brainer. What was going Contrarian. Very simple. There's a 1% chance this thing works, but if it does, it's worth $10 billion. Great quote from uh, like a mentor and friend of ours, John Steinberg from Cheddar, yeah. that the only ideas worth having are the contrarian ones. The only bets worth making I are, introduced the contrarian are the contrarian bets. At yes. my, I love that. At my little angel forum, I introduced Travis and Uber to 22 investors. Three said yes, including me. 19 said no. Wow. Took Airbnb 45 meetings to get their first yes. Com.com met with 80 investors. I was the 81st. I said yes. The other 80 said no. Those are my three best bets so mm-hmm. far. So the crazier the idea, the better. Mm-hmm. Speaking of crazy, the stock market has crashed yep. or corrected yep. three days in a row, largest point drop, which oh, isn't really what's right important. We're, we're going right into the news right now. Okay. This is it. <laughs> Enough about go? you guys and your story and my <laughs> yeah. story about Vlad. I wound up putting a little bit of money in. It's worth like 300X or something. I don't know. It's, you know. I put a little bit of money in. It's worth a couple million bucks uh, or more. So uh, coronavirus is obviously affecting the market and uh, went down two days in a row. I guess it's the largest point, but it's not near the largest percentage. I guess everybody likes to talk about the points because it's scarier. Right. But the points keep going up, so. Yeah. Right. But the percentage drop isn't as scary as 1,000 points. We're not even at 10%, I don't think. It did have its worst day in a couple of years, but it's been an extraordinary number of years. Uh, do you see this as a, uh, and just to give people a little additional background, we're taping this on Wednesday, um, and today is the 24th. 
In the U.S. has only been 57 confirmed cases. Uh, two people got a person-to-person worldwide. 81,000 people have it. 2,770 deaths. 95% of the cases are still in China. Um, but I guess the CDC did uh, scare the heck out of everybody yesterday <laughs> by saying, really make kind of- sure you have 30 days worth of food. I was like... Is that what they said? Because I was, was warning. They warned kind us of to walking prepare. Down. It was pretty ambiguous at one point. It was just like, prepare for virus. I know. Right? Yeah. And does that just mean get stressed out? <laughs> yeah. It was weird. Don't was touch like, people. Don't talk to people. I was like, it's just kind of like the prequel to The Walking Dead where they're like, yeah, yeah, it's probably nothing but get 30 days worth of food. And the only thing they didn't say to get was ammunition. So they left that right, off the list. Right. So I, I got a huge got order time, coming. Though, apparently to put that in. Yeah. Um, and uh, ticking ahead on the slides here. We got some context. Um, so what do you think? Is this a, cha- a buy? real? CD Secretary shaving face to protect the coronavirus. Really? Your beard. Yeah, I mean, gentlemen, I, I feel like I'm a threat right now. Also, what are these absurd? No, don't worry about it, guys. I'm mock-ups. sending you back up. I'm sending you back up to. Uh, I'm sending you back up to makeup to get a quick shave. Uh, oh man, what do you guys think? I mean, you you cover the markets. Uh, I don't know if you guys actively trade the markets. Do you? We always share what stocks we're holding, but we don't actively day trade or anything. Right. Right. So you, you it's public what you guys own. You're we always holding. disclose it, yeah. Right. So we you're not like trading. You're not like talking about something on the pod and then making a trade before or after to trade on that. No. Exactly. But generally speaking, do you see this if you're advising your your mom, dad, cousin, brother, close friend, would you say, yeah, you want to get in the market? This is a good time. Or do you think, yeah, I would wait three or six months and see what happens? couple things on that. In 2018, you said it was the last day we had a thousand drop from the yeah. Dow. That actually, we had two thousand day drops that week in yeah. two thousand eighteen. Was that the flash trading thing? Doesn't no, it wasn't. Do you it, remember what it was? No, because it the would, same thing happened two years prior, where yeah. there was like a sudden drop. But we're not talking about that right so now. So these drops are like three and a half percentage points each. Yeah. yeah. In two thousand eight, we had three days between October and December with drops of over seven percent. Yeah. Uh, so these are much more minor than all of those things. Also, Nick. The trade war with China. Oh my God. Markets are still at a record high. Right. Um, the unprecedented election of Trump, markets are still at a record high. Yeah. Brexit, markets are still at a record high. So, you know, experts tell you not to try to time the markets. Yeah. So, kind of the premise of the question was should we be timing the markets? The other thing is volatility, which it actually hasn't been up until the last week a very volatile quarter or year at all. In yeah. fact, when Jack and I got out of school and you had the European debt crisis going on, the markets were jumping around 1, 2, 3% up or down for like months on a daily basis. When they thought like the Portugal and Yeah, and we thought like Italy, Greece was going to like sever itself Spain, off. We're all going to totally, yeah, go bankrupt or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this too shall pass. I, the thing I was kind of wondering is, I, I start thinking about the worst case scenario. Yeah. Worst case scenario, they said, if Everybody basically sheltered in place for 30 days. Mm-hmm. It can't spread. Therefore, it kind of dies. And in six to nine to 12 months, we'll have some kind of vaccine for this. So if we lost a month of economic activity or it was world? muted. Global? I'm thinking, imagine nobody went to work <laughs> yeah. in person. Yeah. Nobody went to school in person. <laughs> yeah. Everybody was on Zoom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all shopping was limited to you know, deliveries. And people were pretty cautious in deliveries. The delivery people wore masks and people, mm. you know, wiped everything down and maybe didn't order from restaurants. You would lose whatever that is of a year, 8% of a year. Mm-hmm. And you would still gain some of it because people would still be working. So maybe it's you lose 4 or 5% of economic mm. activity for the year. Would it 
kill the human species? No. We've had wars that have gone on for years that killed millions of people. So mm. it feels like we can get through this. It feels like we can get through this without necessarily taking the extreme measures you were talking about. Too. Right. That's why I said yeah. the worst case I mean, scenario all- <laughs> to me seems like we would still get through it. Although Slack investors and, and, uh, and Zoom investors would probably love that scenario. Well, there was a theory that they created it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that too dark? Was that too dark? Can't make light of the coronavirus. Sorry. I like it's, that worst case scenario that you just described. I actually is that the worst case? I haven't heard that described yet. Well, they said what they're doing right now is they're containing people, right? Because mm-hmm. after thirty, I days, think there is a worst case scenario. Actually, yeah. Well, is, yeah. If a lot of people die yeah. and don't contain in yeah. place, then it would spread. But in terms of measures mm-hmm. to stop this, if everybody stayed home for thirty days, it can't spread. Well, in a way, we have the case study, right? We have the provinces in China where you can see they've basically done that. Yes. And they've ebbed the flow to some degree. So oh, you've no, seen it's it plummeted. Ab- New cases yeah. have plummeted. You've yeah. seen this work on a certain scale. The question is, can it even function at a global scale? Absolutely, it could. Yeah. I mean, this is just unprecedented. Like, we've covered a lot of weird crises since we started Market Snacks. <laughs> yeah. We've not covered something like this. <laughs> no. And the way we were looking at it before in our podcast, we were like, Okay, if you have to think of every country in a way as like an individual citizen, an individual shopping mall, like the an big individual factory. Yeah. The weird thing here is that in China, the impact has been that it's affecting Apple because their factories are there. Yeah. It's affecting Apple retail because people can't go to the stores. But then it's interestingly affecting like retail in France because Chinese consumers who are traveling are a big portion of that. So Interesting. unlike any other thing that we've kind of seen in our coverage of the markets for the years, this is able to kind of scale and spread in a way that no other kind of contained disaster really does. And that's why Monday stocks dropped by a thousand points because we thought it was contained to China. Right. But that factory shopping mall tourist Italy that's occurred shut in China. Down and Iran. Exactly. Where they're like, Iran's not going to be able to handle mm-hmm. this. And South Korea. And then was it the IOC guy yesterday who said, if this isn't contained by May, the Olympics will be canceled. Will be canceled. And in you- Japan. Yeah. You had Warren Buffett weigh in on this as well. They brought Warren Buffett in the day the market was crashing. Mm. Was that time, do you think? Do <laughs> no. they is that like yeah, a Warren, yeah. it's like a bat signal? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're gonna be down three percent. Press the Warren Buffett. We've compared Warren Warren Buffett in here. He's the Albus Dumbledore of finance. Yeah. He makes everyone feel safe. And whenever he speaks, we're all just like Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's kinda got that like, well, I buy companies and companies (laughs) if I get me a Coke. Uh, if you seize want candy. seize candy, this is not the Nebraska I don't accent, think. Oh, no, no, we're just no. doing a Texas accent right now. <laughs> we're just basically saying Warren Bob is a hillbilly. Yeah. But he does speak in a slow, reassuring twang yes. yeah. that is sort of like, well, if you wanted the peanut butter chew and I wanted the chocolate walnut, well, the coronavirus is not going to get the chocolate walnut. They may get the caramel. So he simplifies everything. So right look, now. with all of these crises, including coronavirus, if you sell because you think something really bad's about to happen, you would have done that with Brexit. You would have done it with the of election course. of 16. You would have done it Listen, so many times and you miss out on all these gains. When other That's investors are greedy, you, you got to be scared. And when other investors are scared, you want to get Warren greedy. Buffett, actually. There you go. Yeah. I know. That's the Warren Buffett right there. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk about the other major tragedy occurring in the world. Bob Iger has stepped down as Disney CEO when we get back on This Week at Startups. Hey, everybody, have you been thinking about upgrading your workstation? Do you want to be more efficient at work? Well, Dell for Entrepreneurs 
wants to help you level up your tech hardware. This program was created to support founders, just like my program, Launch, and they do it by providing resources and tools that will help your startup grow and scale your technology. Scaling your company means more than just hiring. Of course, hiring is important, but you want to get the right equipment so each of those hires is getting the most done with Let's face it, the least amount of effort. You want to be efficient. I love these Dell monitors. I've been obsessed with them for a long time. And that's actually how the relationship started. Somebody on my team mentioned Dell for entrepreneurs. I was like, by the way, open your eyes. Everybody here has a giant Dell monitor for a reason. Well, founders that register for Dell for entrepreneurs will have a wide range of free resources for startups, such as free IT consulting from experts who are ready to help you with any IT-related question your needs, your projects, doesn't matter what size. And you're going to get access to capital for buying hardware with Dell Financial Services. They're thinking about founders and entrepreneurs, and you know that that capital is precious. And if you can uh, use Dell Financial Services to spread out those payments, well, that's going to put you in a low monthly payment as opposed to a giant capital expenditure. They give you great rewards like earning up to 6% cash back on Dell products. So here is the CTA, the old call to action. Every founder should take advantage of this program right now Level up your hardware today and save 43% by going to dell.com slash twist, D-E-L-L dot com slash twist and registering for Dell for Entrepreneurs. That's dell.com slash twist and you'll save up to 43%. Tons of great product from Dell, but the monitors, ooh, I love those monitors. Thanks again to Dell for supporting independent media like this podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to This Week in Startups. My guest today, Jack Kramer, he is T-B-O-Y Jack. T-Boy Jack. T-Boy Jack. T-Boy is the best one yet. Wow. Was that your college Twitter? <laughs> no. How many it actually recently changed. <laughs> yeah, it's it recently changed. What did you do with your college Twitter? you put it on private? Yeah, I just told you about your college Twitter protecting. What did you, you guys do? Did, See, right? I didn't have Twitter summer, in college. Yeah. You guys did. Did you put your college Twitter on protecting? No, I was summer of Dutch because uh, summer of 16 was a big summer. It's when I met my wife. Wait, wait. Summer of Dutch was your old handle? Dutch was my nickname until the yeah, summer of 16. Yeah, not surprising. Not <laughs> surprising. Dutch. Yeah, there you makes go. total sense. Yeah, I have a very round face. Yeah. Um, amazing, but what happened to that handle? Is it on private right now? No, I it was. It will be by the I end of this podcast. I think it was challenging my discoverability, so I changed it to T Boy Jack. Didn't roll off the tongue like T Boy Jack. And uh, Nick of New York, kind of a play. Yeah, kind of on works. Nick of King of New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. Have you seen like the alliteration? Dave Ferrara, King of New York, with Christopher Walken. You know, oh, you boys got fat when I was away. You're not the only one with a good Walken voice. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, <laughs> fellas, let's talk a little bit about Egg stepping down. <laughs> That's good. Uh, we all love Iger. Well, Boy, did he go on a run. Iger is arguably the most powerful person in Hollywood, media, sports, and toys. Okay, he's got ESPN. Gotcha. Yep. He's ESPN, got Star Wars toys. ESPN and ABC, which had two of the top 10 most watched things in 2019. Both football. Both football. Super Bowl? What did they have? They had the college football national championship and yeah. one of the college football final four games. Got it. Um, and he's got Baby Yoda. He's got, he's got Baby, Baby Yoda, Yoda in the he toy department. Baby Yoda. You're right. He's got a streaming network that has taken off in just a few months. I think Disney Plus is like the national parks. Yeah. It is just a wonderful public service. Seven bucks a month. Have I know. you seen that library? That is hilarious. The fact that they came out at $7, I thought they were going to come out at like... 12 or yeah. a 10 maybe you must when they have... came out at seven i was like this is going to go right to 250 million subs yeah and you know what other service has had 250 million subs before 
Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Correct. Trick question. It's like Verizon over a hundred million subs. No, this mm-hmm. is AOL a great hit thirty five yeah. million. Well, Amazon Netflix one hundred fifty. Right. Right. Yeah. Nobody's that? ever had a service that got to a billion subs. I think it'll be a billion subs. In 10 years, 20 years, we'll be sitting (laughs) here, there'll be a billion, one in seven people on the planet will have a subscription to it. That's the incredible thing about Disney. It's like nonpartisan. Everyone loves Disney. It could be a dollar a month. If there were a billion people on it, they could make $12 billion a year at a dollar a month per user. You can make it $12 a year. And they can jack up the prices then at the theme parks. Right. I mean, they can lead with this kind of a thing. This well, it all goes back to what, 1937 or something when Walt Disney drew up that thing. The, the ecosystem. Oh, yeah, Disney. the ecosystem. They had yeah. characters in the middle, the theme parks over here, the toys over there, the musicals down here, yeah. the movies right there. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Pretty those much the same. Made. Yeah. Yeah, IP. It's amazing. What it's IP just the question. writers, actually. It's yeah. the writers at Disney who are creating this unbelievable IP. That I had an idea for loves. this. I, when I read about that, I just thought, and I actually thought about Kurosawa. The Japanese director there, there's his biography, something like an autobiography. Toho Studios used to own the director and the writers, um, the producers, the lighting. It was all the same company. So it's like you went to work every day mm-hmm. and people punched in and one of the people punching in was an actor, Toshiro mm-hmm. Mifune. Another person checking in was Akira Kurosawa, the mm-hmm. director. Mm-hmm. And they would just make movies. They'd say, yeah, let's make this movie next. Like, this movie. They were just going to work every day making movies. They weren't like working in Hollywood where they would you know, get hired to do one movie. And I just thought somebody should just get a hundred million dollar like venture fund and just hire every comic book artist and just say, here's a building in a beautiful place. Here's, you know, whatever it is, $500,000 a year, which is probably create and just make characters. That's basically characters all day. This is the Imagineers. Isn't that what they're called? The Imagineers. Oh, Imagineers at Disney. Yeah. They just make stuff. And when they couldn't and they couldn't meet those goals, what did they do? They went out and acquired a bunch of things like Marvel and Star Wars to mix it in. You're going to say they fired those writers. No, no. Those are great writers. On Disney. Incredible writers. But they built up the whole content asset base to drive the ecosystem. They didn't fire those writers. Dude, that's so cold. I'm just kidding. They gave them jobs at the theme park. Who do you think serving that lemonade? Frozen lemonade. Remember Tom Hanks as Walt Disney and Saving Mr. Banks? Yes. It's a delightful movie, isn't it? It's great. Absolutely delightful. Who's the uh, reminds taxi me? It's almost driver? as delightful as like no, the, the lighthouse. Driver. Yeah, Paul Giamatti. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, somebody saw the lighthouse. I'm scared. It's dark. Yeah. You saw it, right? Yeah, it's scary. The lighthouse was dark. Yeah, it was intense and it was awkward. Uh, very awkward. Like just, there were lots awkward of awkward moments. You're uncomfortable the entire time. Wait, is yeah. this Willem Dafoe? Yes, Willem Dafoe and uh, the Batman. Oh, the Batman. Which or Batman? are you going to say the vampire? The Batman. Okay. What's that kid's name again? Um. The Christian Bale? No, no, not ben as Affleck? cool. Not nope. as neat. Oh, um, he was Bird in the Man. vampire movies. And now we're going to get a millennial joke thrown oh, away in a second. Um, Twilight movies. Yeah. The Twilight Kid. There you go. Yeah. I met him in Hollywood. He's a cool kid. Nice guy. Um, but Bob, our buddy Bob. I didn't meet him with Bob Iger. No, he's in the fourth Harry Potter. No, he's not. Yeah, he, he is. He is that. Christian Bale is not in. No, oh, we're not talking about Christian Bale. No. I know. <laughs> I'm just mixing Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm totally mixing Batman's up. Um, what the heck is that kid's name? Nick, you're R- the pretty. Pattinson. Pattinson. R. Pat. R. Pat. R. Pat. My boy, R. Pat. Uh, really nice guy, though. Um, so so Iger, man. Iger is gone. Bob. Iger. Iger is gone, but he's not going anywhere. He's staying for another year. It's the stock actually... went crazy. People are a little scared. Yeah. But the I stock guess stock dropped 6% yesterday. Which is double what the market went down, I guess. Something um, like that, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. He's been on for 15 years. The stock price is five times higher than when he took over at the helm. Right. He led the company through cord cutting, the financial crisis. Right. 
and he got Star Wars, Pixar, and Marvel. Yeah, which are and which things... is bonkers. And he bought those all for what two to five million. Last million time each. you were on an airplane, was there not every seat watching an Avengers movie? I think it's the most watched thing on every, every Delta flight. Yes, seat back. Every yeah. seat back is Endgame. And not only did he buy those assets, he has scaled them. I mean, how many? What have they done with Star Wars? They came out with like one every what? Two decades, and those now there's the, the Star Wars those purists two. are not happy about it. Did you we guys, actually right, hold on a second? When did you guys watch Star Wars, the original trilogy, for the first time? First time in college, senior year. I watched in college. All six. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like <laughs> you watched Star Wars in college in the in the 21st century. Did you point. know that Darth Vader? Spoiler alert! I did. I was did. and Luke's my buddy dad, Kyle. At that point, it was like cultural. Yeah, it was. It was like, but my buddy Kyle was a meme at that point. Appalling spoiler alert during um, episode one about the Emperor. Yeah, wasn't good. Yeah, that's not good. You wanna... Oh, he didn't know the emperor was. No, I didn't know. I was watching oh. for the first time. People just like, I, was, I was like, "Who's Senator Palpatine?" Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's thing, the emperor. Are yeah. oh, you like what? <sighs> All of my buddies like beat what? Kyle. What? So, what is your favorite Star Wars film? Number one film of the mm. nine. It's got yeah, actually be... include the you can include Solo and it's Rogue One. Gotta be three. Gotta be three. You underestimate my power. You like Revenge of the Sith. It's actually dark. I like it too. I like it. What's I, your favorite? I liked the one where I know people didn't like it, but with the uh, where they're doing the racing in like pod race, the worst one. I know people like it. Your so favorite was, is the worst. It was it was very entertaining. Oh, I mean, the thing is, I watched four, five, six, and then one, two, three, and yeah. the way that three ended and fed into four is great. It was just did you mm. see Rogue One? The one that goes and bridges the two. I did, yeah. Rogue One is amazing. Well, the Vader scene at the end. is The Vader scene is incredible. Spoiler alert. Okay. All right. So, uh, Disney, would you, in the next 15 years, will Disney do as well as it did in the past 15? If it 5X over the past 15, over under that it performs the same, under or more, everybody's going to write it down. Okay, I'm writing mm-hmm. down mine. I think it's going to do, okay. Is it going to do under 5X, over 5X, or around 5X? Over. Over, because it's I not about the, the leader. Too. It's not about who's leading the company at this point. For the record, this is not a stock recommendation. Also, we should point out that it's a stock Bob recommendation Iger for me. Has Hands not down, left. I think it's a great buy. He's still involved in the content. He's doing one more year. No, yeah. he's actually doing two more years. He's oh, going to be involved in the twenty twenty one, and he's the head of content. So he actually like soothed investors' concerns pretty well during the. I thought call. for sure this had this was so quick though. Mm-hmm. People were freaked early. out that it was early because he had just yeah. signed this one-year extension or something. But yeah. he had done like three or two or three of these one-year extensions or something. And mm-hmm. he had made it clear and the book came out. Mm-hmm. So when the book came out, you know, that's like a legacy play. He's like putting a cherry on the top. Yeah. I'm going to tell my story. I'm done. Defining it. I'm going to spill the tea and I'm done. Yeah. Like that was like, that's always yeah. the power move. Yeah. Like Bruce Springsteen's doing his Broadway show. It's like, yeah. I think also, we know what's going on here. He's about opportunity, to retire. You go out on top when you have the opportunity. Absolutely. You yeah. Do. Yeah. <laughs> so we all think it's going to do better because why? Okay. What is the lead driver going to be? What we don't think the lead driver is, is necessarily the new CEO. It doesn't necessarily have to be the core leader at this point. And the thing that surprised us, though, was who the new CEO is, which is a guy with a theme park experience, not a future media experience. Right. So to you, that's a problem. That would be a, you would assume to that's quote a problem. my buddy, Nick Martell. He's a good guy. I would guy. Just say York. that this Nick Martell tweet is like legendary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the new Disney CEO led the Disney theme parks. Feels like Netflix promoted the DVD ad to be their lead. And you included the image of Tom Wamsgan, <laughs> who is married to Sloan. Shiv. Shiv. On I'm, the, I'm not a succession yeah. guy. And he ran parks. Well. And parks had 
cruises, which had problems. Well, full disclosure. Is, it's a small world after all. Full disclosure. I had not included that photo originally, but I liked the idea that oh. we got credit for. Also, this is like kind of a Jack and I brainstormed these things together. So I don't want to take full credit oh, on this. You know this. what? That was no, Nick. No, no, that Producer was, Nick did that. The line at the end is Nick. And I'm trying to get into Extinct really get it out there on Twitter. So Jack I was, was like, like, dude, get that, that out. Right Jack now. and I were talking about Disney and we're you, like, wait we got to get this out there. It, you guys finish each other's sentences, yeah. but now we're learning you finish each other's tweets as well. I said, you have each Hold on a second. Do you have each other's Twitter passwords? We have common law marriages and four states. No, but wait, this is a totally separate thing. Do you have access to each other's Twitter <laughs> handles? Are you going into drafts? And no, absolutely. No, no, no. no, so it's not that intense. Execution relies on the you individual. You guys have your own sinks in the bathroom, or is it one sink? Is it two sinks of vanity? We got two separate sinks. Two separate sinks. Okay, yeah. I just want to make sure we, we know. You have bunk sinks. beds. Yeah. You have bunk <laughs> beds. You got to do what you got to do in college, yeah. <laughs> this is going in a weird direction already. Um Iger 2020 election. That's the first thing I thought was Bloomberg Iger. You well, guys are Bloomberg. Mm. You guys are Blo- Team Bloomberg, or are you guys Bernies? Are you Bernie Bros or are you Bloomberg Bros? Not making Answer an the question. Answer the question. When we get back on this week in Star <laughs> You guys have to learn how to do the tease, okay, boys? Finding a freelancer to help you with your business needs is incredibly frustrating. It's time consuming and you got to deal with payments and maybe they disappear. I've been through this a billion times with my startups and the startups I invest in. You need to get some help. Maybe you got to do some copywriting. Maybe you need a designer. Maybe you need somebody to do research. I need research all the time. And when I was doing my trip to Australia for the launch festival, we hired somebody on Fiverr to research all the CEOs, all the VCs, and all the journalists in Australia. And then we had a great mailing list to invite people to our event. And it cost us nothing. It was so affordable. And the impact was so great. And I didn't have to take my core team off of their jobs. If you go to Fiverr and you use my code, TWIST, T-W-I-S-T, you're going to get 10% off your first order. That's F-I-V-E-R-R, Fiverr with two R's. And it's so easy. Don't waste any more time. You can search by the service. You can search by deadline, price, reviews, etc. And you'll know exactly what you're paying for up front without negotiating because it's a marketplace where they've got the reviews and they've already categorized everybody perfectly. You're going to get more done with less because they connect you with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, graphic design, as I talked about, copywriting, web programming, and editing your videos because everybody's watching videos constantly now. Finding talent for your project has never been easier. Fiverr's quality talent you can count on. F-I-V-E-R-R.com and use my code T-W-I-S-T and you'll get 10% off. Thanks, Fiverr, for making my life easy and for making the lives of all the startups and the founders who listen to this podcast, making their lives easier and giving them that 10% off. It's a significant discount. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, welcome back to This Week in Startups. Uh, during the break, the boys told me they are Team Bloomberg, 100%. They said they do not want to live in a socialist country. Isn't that right, Nick, Jack? Seriously. Do you, you guys first? identify... I'll, my, my Twitter avatar is Mike Bloomberg, so... <laughs> Spoiler alert. He's got a lot of How mean avatars he out there. Not, literally, people like, ask me that. I'm like, really? Do they? I was, I, my first response was, does Bloomberg have the, enough money to pay me off? And I, I got like, off the couch. Actually, train. the answer is yes, he does. But I'm, I believe Bloomberg is the most qualified. And I don't want a socialist running the country into the ground because entrepreneurship and capitalism makes this country great. What do you boys think? Are you boys socialists? Yes. Capitalists. <laughs> I honestly think it's been hard to watch all the debates because there is so much bloodshed going on with them. It is brutal it to watch. Challenged. It's too it's many people to on that stage. Yeah. But 
Are you fiscal? Let me ask this. I'm going to just take you down without, I'm going to take you down through some very basic mm. yes, no questions. Do you believe everybody should have health care in the country? Yes. And it should be paid yeah. for by the state. Okay. Do you believe we should uh, give everybody free two-year associate degrees at state schools, city schools? Two-year. Like an associate degree, like community college? Community college, two-year. Do you think everybody should get that for free as part of being an American? Two-year trade school. Well, mm. you did tell us during the commercial yeah. break to be careful what podcast we announce our political affiliations on. Absolutely. But I'm just asking this one, which is very simple. I believe that for trade school, two years, the government should provide it if it's with a trade that we have a reasonable percentage chance, let's say 60 or 70% chance of knowing you'll get that trade. Mm-hmm. Seems like an easy bet to make because it's only state schools, only 5,000, 10,000. Question for you, because I'm not as familiar with this one. Where else has this been done, by the way? Well, we did it in America back in the 50s and 60s. Uh-huh. We paid for like a state school. City school used to be free or close to free, depending mm-hmm. on the city and the state. So it used to be free here, in fact. Look, I'm for equality in opportunity. Okay, here we go. Now yeah. we're getting somewhere because you guys yeah. didn't, you immediately said healthcare, you're for, but and you, the, you and, did not answer on the to your college. And so not me, being terrified of your bill, your medical bills. Perfect. That's an opportunity. That, that feels need. about the right balance. Yeah. Also, the the community college thing, Germany does it so well, like uh. kind of having these, uh, these light college experiences for people who don't need like a full four-year mm-hmm. yeah. thing. They do a great job there. And I think we should, I think our community colleges could do a lot more than they do. Yeah. Now, should we forgive $5 trillion or whatever it is in student debt? The only precedent that we have here mm-hmm. is the government's bailout of Wall Street yeah. and the auto industry of yeah. 2008 and 2009. And the airline industries. We bailed them out when too. was that? It's happened multiple times. After September 11th? Yeah. There's been multiple bailouts of the airline industry. So- I, I like to think like it sounds so insane the idea of bailing out like student debt. Yeah. We do have that precedent twelve years ago right, where so we bailed out there. How financial. How much do you owe in your ones? Over fifty or under fifty? Um I put it as over. How old are you? Twenty six, twenty seven? No. Thirty two? No, but I'm flattered. How old? <laughs> I'll tell you, we gotta promote them. Oh wait, you guys uh, went to business school too. Person. So you guys yeah. are thirty four. 32. No, no, I'm, 32. Th- I'm very, very close to 32. Yeah. Okay. So you guys have over- <laughs> But I'm going to round that. Gonna, and you guys went to business school, so you have over 50K in student debt each. Business school is expensive. Yeah. So you're both over 50, which means you're paying at least 500 a month of student loans. I don't have student debt right now. Whoa. Did you sell your Robinhood shares to pay that off? No, we're not. Not No, no sell share. No, no share, selly shares. That's exactly what I told you, boys. Don't sell your That's shares. That's the lesson. That's the takeaway. Don't there. sell these shares. Hold. When you got a winner- Mm-hmm. You hold. You know what's easy to do? Selling is easy. You know what's easy to do? Buying. You know what's hard to do? Holding. <sighs> Warren Buffett would love Holding you. is hard. This is like the, this could all go on a pillow. Holding is hard. Just hold, boys. Hold. And when it goes public, you know what you do? Hold. <laughs> hold. Just hold it, boys. Don't Google Netflix. Facebook, the mm-hmm. people who held their shares. Oh my yum yum. Tesla. Tesla. Whole. Tesla went public at fourteen dollars a share. Whole. I think it was fourteen. Um, so you're not socialist. You believe that uh, healthcare should be uh, provided some baseline, but you don't believe mm-hmm. that it should be a free for all. You guys uh, believe we should break up the big tech companies? Break them up. Well, this is part Ban of the broader theme we we're actually going to talk on later. Was the just in general the tech lash momentum right now? So let's start it with, we'll go right to Tech Lash. Let's go to Tech Lash here because yeah. it is also the anti-capitalist thing. 
way to avoid the question. Mm -hmm. But you guys are capitalists because you started companies, went to business school. So mm -hmm. uh, I'll just leave we it there. We study capitalism every day. Yes. And you were smart enough to sell, sell, sell and get yourself those sweet, sweet Robin Hood shares. Smart move, boys. <laughs> uh, questionable reporting on this 2018 Tesla crash. I saw this story. I've been driving on autopilot in the Model X and then the Model 3. I've had the first version of autopilot. I've got the most recent version. I just had the computer upgraded in my Model 3. Jason, to the is that one. a Model X right there? That's the X. Uh, no, 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 on the, on the shelf? On the shelf, that's a Model 3 or Y. Yeah, that's uh, a know, model. I got to say, no, that's it's an, an X, X. It's an X based on the grill. The doors. And yeah. the doors. I can see the doors. That's an X, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, I see this New York Times article. Tesla autopilot system found probably at fault in 2018 crash. The National Transportation Safety Board called for improvements in the electric car company's driver assist future and cited failures by other agencies. And then the uh, picture is tragically an Apple engineer who ran into a divider that didn't have the safety mm. um cushions that are normally there that would have saved his life. National Transportation Safety Board investigation uh, concerned a 28X incident in Mountain View, California that killed the driver of a Tesla Model X spaceship. At no point in this store, in the first three or four paragraphs of the story, do they mention the driver was playing a video game mm -hmm. while on autopilot. Now, this wasn't any driver. This was an Apple engineer who knows exactly. He was a super fan of Tesla, and he had been in contact with Tesla about autopilot. He mm -hmm. knew exactly how autopilot worked. Mm -hmm. Well, I Tesla, know how everybody who has a Tesla knows how autopilot works. It blinks and it turns off if you don't move the steering wheel. So this person was moving the steering wheel while intentionally not looking at the screen playing a video game. Jason, I this need, makes me crazy. I need self-driving technology because I need a self-driving podcast studio. Yeah, seriously. We need this because yeah. that would just be cool. If well, we, we could a lot of shuttle, if we could yeah. shuttle to the ski resort on Friday afternoon, we could be on our way while, to Truckee right now. While we recording could be doing our podcast, both, we could do both our podcasts on the way to Truckee. <laughs> so look, we could kill two birds with one stone. We could be in one X right now, one Model X. Absolutely. When I was at Michigan, I studied self-driving cars. Can right. I throw out a couple quick stats? Yes. Thir there were thirty-five thousand car deaths. In yeah. 2017, it's probably something similar so over in 18 30 and 19. We pretty well established in the United so States. So yeah. if self-driving cars can reduce those deaths by half, easily, we're still going to have 17 or 18,000 people die in car accidents, right. right? People will die. We can't treat each of those deaths like it's the cars. Like we need to have some, we need to self-driving our emotions and realize that even with progress, people are going to die. And so- when Tesla has an accident, they are so under the microscope. The the greatest comparison I've seen for this. But like, let's remember, there's thousands of people. Right. Dying so it's completely. Would you say this headline was unfair? I and if you were to I'm write, that, if you were to write, include the video game. It, and then well, I email the writer Naraj Chokshi. Sorry, Naraj, if I if I didn't pronounce it correctly. Does the and I said to him like, shouldn't this headline say driver was playing a video game? The New York Times leads with. Tesla being at fault and buries in the ninth sentence that the driver's playing a video game. He wrote me back to his credit and says that the timestamp on the article you link to say 230-ish, the latest version is, is here and includes the driver's role in the first sentence, looking into why. So I guess they, mm. I, I guess enough people told him like, this is tech backlash, yeah. anti-tech. But to say that Tesla's at fault is so unbelievably disingenuous and ridiculous when it's an engineer from Apple who knows exactly what the limitations of this technology are. 
He knows the limitations. And you know what? And he played a video game. We've seen this kind of thing happen about 100 years ago because history is the best way you can study this kind of thing. Yeah, it rhymes. We've referenced this on our Snacks Daily podcast. When you had elevators for the first time in New York City, this is The Economist put out this article a couple years ago. When you had elevators first come out in New York City, they were guided by a person every single elevator because people were scared about it letting them drive themselves vertically. Right. But it wasn't until you could get over the fear, the PR challenge of the actual elevators that it became expected that you would not have a person driving your elevator. But now you guys saw last week the infer I'm sorry, the recode journalist who was like asking the Silicon Valley venture capitalist like about um, shaking hands and the coronavirus, and they mm. literally wrote a story like Silicon Valley doesn't want to shake hands. Ha ha. What? Look, yeah, you know, making it's fun it's of the responsibility Valley. of journalists to provide context, yeah, so that people can understand the facts in a way that makes sense. We also, I don't know how this author did it, and it sounds like you have your opinion made up on it. But well, what, are you, what are you? I mean, how, what would you? What would well, you I honestly, I just I don't know enough about this story, but I I don't even know why we're cover- why is it even a story in the first place? Like that's that's kind of what I'm saying. It's a, there are car accidents car all the time. And, and this isn't the yeah. first autopilot-related car accident. Uh, he'll pull up the other article, but anyway. We uh, also got to separate the journalist here probably from a team that comes up with the titles. And one of the benefits Jack and I get to do is we get to do our point. own titles and we get to that's write our stories. Point. And I asked him, actually, I DM'd point. him and said, did you write the title? Because that's a bad title. And he mm. didn't reply back. Remember Mitt Romney wrote that op-ed saying we should not bail out the auto industry? Mm-hmm. And then they changed the title to let Detroit go bankrupt or something? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. And I you know, I had this debate with Henry Blodgett at Business Insider. I used to write my email. He'd say, can I place your email? He placed my email, and then he would write this crazy headline. And I said, you can only take it if you use my headline. And we got this big back and forth. All right, let's talk a little bit about growth and profitability as private public markets. This is kind of the story of, um, I guess, the last year yeah. since uh, SoftBank came in and splashy cashied all over the mm-hmm. place. Yep. Uh, growth and growth and profitability. Obviously, Uber uh, got hit pretty hard. Lyft got hit pretty hard after going public. We were collapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's since rebounded. What do you guys think about this transition from growth at all costs in the mm-hmm. private market, staying private till you have billions of dollars in revenue, and supposed to fifty to five hundred million, um, and then the public market saying we're not interested. Well, it's been a bummer that I haven't had the opportunity to invest like you have <laughs> because I was waiting and waiting and waiting for yeah. some of these IPOs. I mean, never has the private market versus public market difference been as extreme and clear in terms of who can get in and where and what those companies look like than right now. You've got... By so way, it's unfair in a way that retail investors can't get access to these companies earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You guys and, are and lamenting. We applaud, we applaud kind of some of the exchanges that are like pitching right now to figure out ways for companies to be able to go public easier because it is a fairness thing. I mean, I agree. Like mm-hmm. wealth creation doesn't come from getting a paycheck. It no. comes from investing in things and owning things. Right. And it's a shame that some of these amazing companies, you know, by the time that they finally go public, they're going down. That's such a disappointment. I mean, that would have been I was just bummed. It arguably would have been so much better off for Uber to have gone public 2 years earlier had the conditions been stronger and maybe mature the company in a different way faster which company oh uber uber yeah uber Uber went public when it was 10 billion or 20 billion and people could ride it up from 200 cities 300 cities to a thousand and i know you're connected with travis but you know maybe if there was different public pressures on travis as opposed to what the vc community was putting on him 
Yeah, I mean, when you put that amount of sunlight on a company mm-hmm. and that amount of scrutiny, you know, things need to be tight. You can't be you you can't be loosey goosey. I gotta say, one of the f- the favorite stories we've had on Snacks Daily in the last yeah. year, actually, we covered this week, and we're probably going to cover later this week. Which is one? on well, it's on the uh, on Lyft. And how companies you're noticing now, public ones and even the private ones that are under this profit pressure, are oh. doing some kind of creative side hustles to kind of maybe eke out a little more profit. Ah. Lyft's acquisition of Halo, a company that does the outdoor ads on uh, yes. taxis. Yes. Yeah. Like maybe a way to get a little more side hustle income and also yeah. attract drivers in kind of a creative way. And you got Bird, the e-scooter company, which is also desperate to like turn into a yeah. profitable company. Because yeah. their scooters are like fall apart within 26 days or something. They're trying to become the original a fintech one. The 2.0 payment might be better. App. True. Yeah, yeah they're launching a, a payment system, essentially. I would ask you, though, Jason, like, what what is the profit path for Uber? Or, like, well, as it grew, was the idea that it would grow and become the dominant player mm-hmm. and then be able to control prices? Sure, sure. You, what you're trying to do is just see how big the market is and induce as many people to participate as possible. And you want to beat everybody in the market. If you have a big chip stack and you're playing poker and somebody else has small chip stacks, you want to put them under pressure and test them because you can. Mm. And if you keep testing them, they might make a mistake and they might, you know, pop off and, you know, when Mm. when it's a bad timing. So it is a way to maintain your lead is to lower prices, increase the number of people who have your app. Mm -hmm. Now you've got this incredible moat, a foundation. Mm -hmm. So if you were profitable with 100 million people and you say, you know what, for five years, we'll be unprofitable. We get to 500 million i.e. Disney, let's make it $7, not 15 Yeah, And they're playing catch-up. Now you build this big base. Okay, yeah, you may have lost money for three, four, five, six, seven, eight years, but boy, you have a base of users, i.e. Amazon Prime, i.e. Apple, um, not, not Apple, um, Uber having this large group of people who have it on their phone. Once it's on your phone, like that's 90% of the battle is getting somebody to put a credit card and install an app. That's massive friction when you think about it. But except in one industry, and we've really notice this with food delivery apps where they are splurging money on customer acquisition. They're losing two bucks. But the problem is competition exists. That's the the problem. And that moat that you're saying could be created even when like a DoorDash builds up an audience in a particular market, it's actually not that deep a moat when it's a pretty commodified product. Jason, can Uber acquire Lyft? Well, regular That'd be a terrible, terrible idea. Well, it's good to have a second player. Existence, the reason Uber is unprofitable. No, Uber. I mean, it was the they were both in this death match, lose a little bit per ride, Mm -hmm. gain market share. Um, I think it's changing because Lyft's running out of money. Uber has, I think, eleven, twelve billion in cash at this Mm -hmm. time, and they believe they'll start to hit profitability by the end of this year. Adjusted profitability. Adjusted profitability. Okay, so let's call it. You know, instead of three quarters, six. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. They have plenty of money to get there and the ability to raise more money if they need to. Lyft doesn't. DoorDash doesn't. DoorDash is running out of money as well. So, one of the nice things about the public market saying, you know what, we're not into this money losing thing, is that that benefits whoever's in the head of the race because now people have said, okay, everybody has to behave rationally now. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. We all have to behave rationally. Great. There's no more Jokers Wild. Great. We're the largest player. Great. Take the Jokers out of the deck. We'll play rationally. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what's basically happened. So I would have, I, what you'll see happen now is when Uber does hit profitability, everybody's like, where's the growth? Why aren't you growing? <laughs> Why aren't you investing more? Why didn't you shut down and the India? Is, there's too much growth pressure. <laughs> and it was too much growth yeah. pressure. Private yeah. market, we're just like, well, if there's more money, yeah. and you, listen, if the DJ's still playing and it's 5 a.m., you give the DJ another 100 bucks. Let's go to six. 
Like, let's go to seven. Let's keep growing. Let's keep the party going. Let's keep growing the base of users. Yeah. Some and of- it kind of pisses me off that the markets are like, oh my God, you're losing so much money. It's like, they did 1.7 billion rides or something last quarter of the quarter before, and they lost a billion. It's like, it's 50 cents a ride. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. You raise the price is 50 cents. You think it changes anybody's behavior? I don't. Is that how the math worked out? 50 yeah. cents a ride? Yeah. They did, I, uh, two quarters ago, they did 1.7. This last quarter, they did more. And this quarter was a billion and change. So mm-hmm. it's somewhere around 50 cents a ride. It's historically been 50 to 60 cents a ride. Pretty stable what they lose. And for the food stuff, I think it's $2 everybody's losing per delivery. What would you say about a company like a Casper that's out there that doesn't have a lift to its Casper? Um <laughs> but doesn't also have the pockets or maybe the accessibility to cash that mm. an Uber is going to I don't think anybody has access to the cash anymore. I think it's over. Mm-hmm. I think unless a Masayoshi-san comes back with like, and he convinces the Saudis to give him another, you know, 50 billion, I think it's going to be, you know, a smaller fund. Mm. Um, so I don't, I think that part, this part of the party yeah. where we go to sunrise and we'd like then get to lunch, like that's over. <laughs> I think the party's over at sunrise now. We're not going to go to lunchtime. I think the company's going to go public earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Company's going to go public with like a billion in revenue, five hundred million in revenue. I think it's going to be healthier too. It mm-hmm. was fun though; it was a great party. It was kind of like the seventies; it just got a little too out of control. In the eighties, <laughs> yeah. they're like, "Yeah, we're going to pump the brakes on this." It's too, too crazy. Uh, but I liked it; it was we, fun. We agree that it would be healthier for the companies probably to be going public. I think so. Things. Also, having some liquidity is good. So uh, you know, we had yeah. to hold our Uber shares for a long time, and some of us had the ability to trade. Most people didn't. Mm-hmm. And to your point, like, you know, Robinhood, I could sell my Robinhood shares. It's a little bit of a secondary market, but I like the idea of these shares being more freely traded. I think it'll be healthier for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for private market investors, there's something special about being forced to hold. And that was what Travis wanted to do with Uber. He did not want to let people sell. And they fought letting people sell in secondary. And they had bylaws, just like Zynga did, mm-hmm. where you couldn't sell your shares. And if you did, they wouldn't recognize the transaction. So if the three of us want to trade our Robin share, Robinhood shares, we can let the CFO of Robinhood know. They put it on the cap table and, they, and they'll record the change. Mm-hmm. Um, Uber and those other companies like- um, Wouldn't recognize it. They wouldn't recognize anybody doing those shenanigans. And now they have orderly process. So my understanding is like SpaceX, Airbnb, they just do it twice a year or something. Yeah. And they have an orderly process for you to sell your shares. But I mean, how many times do you guys get emailed asking to sell your Robinhood shares by like these weird third-party bl- brokers? You ever get those emails? People on LinkedIn love reaching out about a lot of things. <laughs> They're like, oh, Robinhood, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get people all the time trying to buy my Robinhood shares mm, yeah. constantly. And I'm like, who is this person? And I just forward them to Vlad. And I'm just like, hey, just so you know. Or like years ago, I would. Just, just so you know, these people are trying to sell large blocks of shares. Do you think this is legit? And Yeah, I'm not sure who's, sh- who's selling. I'm well, dumb. this brings us to an interesting moment with Airbnb, which now may have a market timing moment or Oops. market timing issue. Yes. Yes. And now they've gone. The awkward thing was when they went out in the fall and basically declared to their employees that they were going to go public. It was a bizarre press release. They said, we will go public next year with an IPO. We haven't really seen that. Yeah. Yeah, We have not seen that before in that degree. So that's pretty straightforward. I think Uber and Lyft have good businesses and eventually this this unprofitable uh, fear, I think it'll pass. Um, But companies like Casper and uh, Harry's and Warby Parker, the ones that are making physical goods, and you know, you need to 
build that physical good every time you sell it. There's a yeah. lot of cost with each product you're selling. Yeah. No, it's not a marketplace where the, you're just like you know getting a take. Rate. And they were being you know valued like a company like Facebook, which just makes an app, and then the more people use that app, yeah. it's just so software. Revenue, yeah, it's right? all about margin. The margins right. are different on these businesses. And then it's going to be really cool to see the spinoffs with like Uber Freight. When is that going to become I just maybe saw the, the driver I just saw the of the CEO whole thing? Of it and it's going really well. Yeah, I mean that's been yeah. maybe the most exciting thing out of Uber in the last five years. Based out of Chicago. True. Uber Freight with the big hub. But with Uber and Lyft and Airbnb, they're all tech, of course. Yeah. And they're all marketplaces, sure. of course. And you'd think that it's just like pure revenue, the more people who take it on. Yeah. But there are costs too. I mean, sure. with, with safety, Uber and Lyft, of course, insurance. you have to pay the drivers. Yeah, for safety, all. security, insurance. Safety, security, well, insurance. It's almost like with every single person who yeah. signs up to host their place on Airbnb, Airbnb has promised to check that place and like verify yeah. that the pictures are real yeah. and that it is that benefits a safe spot. See, when you I get know, that big, it benefits the every. Yeah, it's, it it's, changes the the mark the profitability calculus. Well, they'll do it a little bit, but they're gonna they're gonna cement. This is what happens when you get to the scale and then they add regulation. It's just the top leaders are basically pulling up the ladder behind them. They're like, okay, haha. Now you try to go start the next Airbnb. Oh, By the way, it's going to cost a hundred bucks right. every time you put somebody online. So right. basically, the more people benefit the incumbents. Exactly. The X more factor, supply you add, the more the quicker you go bankrupt. <laughs> X factor we haven't talked about here. Yeah. When there aren't drivers of the Uber cars, and we're talking self-driving cars, fifteen the to twenty is years completely changed. Fifteen to twenty years. Okay. Yeah. Well, then you've got a time issue. Uh, I think we'll have VTOL vertical takeoff and landing before mm. we have full self-driving. Okay. VTOL. Vito. I love that. Sounds like a pet name. Vertical takeoff and landing. Those are the, yeah. qua- you know, basically like looks like drones. They're quadcopters, yeah. but they actually have eight. The ones that was like kind of tested out a bit. Yeah, they've been yeah. testing them in China and they'll, yeah. they'll be in China and Australia and places like that. They're, they're going to work really well over water. <laughs> China and then they test them out in Scottsdale, Arizona, usually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but they, over water, they're great because yeah. you really can't run them over like Brooklyn, mm-hmm. but you could run them from Bay Ridge at 69th Street Pier to one of the heliports on either sure. side of Manhattan. Where are you from? Bay Ridge. Oh, Originally, yeah? yeah. No yeah. way. Wow. Brooklyn, yeah, that's where I grew up. The Arizona Narrows was- Right by there. They the had just finished it. I was born in 1970. They finished it, I think, in 60, late 60s. Underrated bridge. Beautiful. Stunning. It was the largest yeah. suspension bridge in the world for a while. It's gorgeous. Stunning bridge. Yeah. Great place. Um, but yeah, these VTOLs, that's the thing that's going to be super exciting because over water, mm-hmm. they can just land. And if one of the rotors goes bad, you have eight rotors, 12 rotors on these things. They can actually compensate- you could lose two or three of the rotors, from what I understand, from people who have invested in these companies, and the other seven will compensate. Oh, so, right, so they got a bunch, yeah. Well, they can just power this one up more to uh-huh. compensate for the one that went out, and then it rebalances itself. And if you watch some of these videos online, Nick, pull up the video of the Chinese company that uh, was going public and that I had emailed you about. I mean, these things are really safe, and they're going to be safer than driving in cars, which is crazy when you think about it. In the air will be safer than cars. Because cars run into each other, they hit things. Mm-hmm. These things, there's nothing to hit. You know, you're in the air. The chance of hitting something, like collisions are very rare. So this Chinese one uh, is from a company called eHang. And there, you go to the YouTube channel, is just phenomenal to watch. Um, I think you got to go to YouTube to watch it. It'll be easier. Um, but these things uh, are going to be the huge game changer. And they're, and they're testing them in China. And you can see multiple videos in China of eHang. Um, remotely operated? Yeah, just... there'll be... Um, you just go in and they're, they're remotely operated. So they can fit, I think, one human right now. They'll eventually get to four. Are we going to do this before we're doing delivery via, via drone? Yeah, delivery via drone is stupid. The mm-hmm. thing that's going to really work is delivery by 
R2D2 or like those little yeah. kind of, you know, looks like a post big. Yeah, Postmates. Yeah, there's yeah. plenty of those it's going around. Serve. Yeah, they're going to be doing the uh, last mile stuff. It's going to be fantastic if you have yeah. a burrito place in Brooklyn yeah. and you're like, you throw five burritos into five compartments mm-hmm. and it's downstairs and they just text you, we're downstairs with your burrito. We'll be here for three minutes. Come down now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you just go, go and you type in your- three. What's that? Go to drawer number three. Go to drawer One, number two, three and pull it out. Yeah. Um, and so this this company is called eHang, and uh, they've been really doing these uh, vertical takeoff and landing things and I'll flying them. Between self-driving cars, this thing, Hyperloop, yeah. and holograms. And holograms. It's Zoom to and Zoom. It's about like, travel in the future. Yeah. You know? Holograms make it so you don't For, have to. As or, you, or Dina. But you yeah, see how <laughs> we're looking at the eHang right now. You see how many blades there are? Yeah. And there's two in each one. So if one gets knocked out, the other one still works. And there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight rotors there times two, 16. So it is pretty amazing. And Larry Page, I think, invested $100 million into each of three of these, Kitty Hawk mm-hmm. being one of them by Sebastian Thrun mm-hmm. out here. And so these things are just the game changer of all game changers. Um, and over water, if it lands in the water, eh, you're going to survive. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to kill somebody by landing on somebody's head. You know, that's the problem of going over uh, cities. Hey, as we uh, get towards uh, rounding third base here, cult stocks. Mm. Yeah, now a thing. A lot of people are looking at millennials coming into the market and buying one share of Tesla, one share of Virgin Galactic. Yep. It's Virgin, Virgin Galactic. Galactic. Yeah. Galactic, SPCE. my friend Chamath's Chima- company. Uh, that went triple. Yeah. It tripled. Tripled over the course yeah, of just like a month or two. A that's month, false. yeah. When, when public at t- the SPAC was out for a year at ten dollars, mm. and it went it traded between like ten and ten dollars and fifty cents. Um, and my friend Schmoth had done the SPAC. He was like, took him a year and a half to find something. He did yeah. Virgin Galactic, uh, and now people on Reddit are going crazy talking about it. Is this the future? These what they're calling cult stocks. No, and what is your take it's on the them? future? No, because no. the it's fundamentals- just a phenomenon that we're seeing that helps us explain inexplicable stock price movements. In fact, the best thing we can do is kind of call it out, which hopefully brings some rationality to it. Ah, so there is some irrationality to this because of super fans of Elon's or Richard Branson's. Well, one well, thing and the products. One thing we've seen with companies like Uber or with WeWork is that ultimately. You kind of the fundamentals have to hit, and with these situations, yeah. In the time being, no one's paying attention necessarily to the fundamentals of the business. Like no one's actually gone off and done space tourism with Virgin yet. Yeah, and it's probably not going to happen in a robust way for a while. However, stock prices are about future profits. True. So it depends like how far in the future we're thinking about. Mm-hmm. But there is, it's how can you explain that? these companies' stocks tripled in just a few months. You can't based on any fundamentals. And so we're seeing a pattern where these stocks that are having insane spikes, they all, the correlation is that they're all being chattered about on certain like right. online platforms. Uh, so they're inspiring or you wouldn't be chatting about them. Or mm-hmm. are you saying there's a cobble of people chatting them up with bogus accounts? Or we just don't know. Oh, it almost doesn't matter if the accounts are bonus or not, it or bogus or not. It's really more about fitting this pattern that, is a bit further removed from the fundamentals of the business mm. to the point where it's more air than it is substance. Some of the is Tesla the number one trading stock on Robinhood. You guys, I don't know Robinhood right lists the number one, two, and three. I, There's I a couple know. websites that like track yeah. it every day and update yeah. their stats. Yeah, it's really interesting though because people can own an eighth of a stock now or yeah. a tenth a of a stock on shares. Yeah. fractional shares. It's great. So people mm. can own if Tesla's well, at eight hundred, they can own a tenth. Of- 
or Amazon. Yeah. The way we say, just to explain to the listeners out there interested in fractional stocks, Apple shares are like over $300, right? Yeah. That's like Apple only sells by the keg. Yeah. People may not want a keg of Apple. They want a nip. They might want a little nip of Apple. And so you can buy a dollar worth of Apple. It's kind of great. It makes the share price as a unit of measurement no longer matter. Yeah. Anyway, where were you? I was just curious if having a lot of young people, Mm -hmm. which was the, to take it full circle to the first segment, you guys started Market Snacks as a way, as young people, because you're passionate about investing. Are young people voting with their dollars in things that are so inspiring and saying, you know what? I don't care if it's overpriced by 3X. I want to be in the most inspiring thing possible, space travel, electric cars, self-driving, whatever it is. If there's one thing we've seen from the millennial and now like the Gen Z generation, it's that they're forcing... In the realm of business, they're forcing like purpose to matter. And I think yeah. that's a great trend. Yeah. Companies that have like a good social promise in some way or are behaving sustainably, they're getting like the consumer spending dollars of millennials and Gen Z. So it actually shouldn't be a surprise to us that companies like doing inspiring, cool things are also getting investing dollars. And you saw that with the business roundtable over the summer when they came out and like revalued like what it means to be a stakeholder and who companies should be focused on. Now, that didn't have a material effect immediately, but that's not the kind of thing you would have seen 10 years ago. It it does matter to your generation Mm -hmm. what the business is trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like not just profits. Right. Yeah. I would would say so. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. The generation before me didn't care at all. Right. My generation cared about us having a seat at the table and maybe us starting the companies. And then this generation is like, even as consumers, we want to have an impact on your business. We do not want to participate in businesses that we don't believe in anymore. Yeah, it goes all the way back to like the 70s. It was Milton Friedman, the Chicago guy, who said profits should be the only thing. And if you think about anything other than profits as a CEO, you're betraying your shareholders and ultimately you're going to betray everyone. But we saw in the past few decades that that was wrong. It seems like he was operating in a world where he thought people by default, table stakes would be morality and ethics or like there's some base mm-hmm. level of morality and ethics. It was a little bit before, you know, people were just kind of lost <laughs> yeah. all moral compass. <laughs> yeah. But also that was in an era before there was like a, an acute concern for climate change and like the yeah. impact it actually has on a, on a macro level. Like that people just wasn't a concern. People in the Scandinavian countries, I understand. I don't know if it was, I think it was Sweden, wherever uh, is it Greta Thunberg? Is yeah, the, yeah. the young woman who she's the climate change activist. She came to America on a boat. I guess she doesn't want to fly. Right. And mm-hmm. She believes that flying is evil. You're don't you don't love the planet if you fly in an airplane. And my understanding is adults are now saying, you know what? I'm flying is selfish. I'm talking about commercial flying, not mm-hmm. private. Yeah, yeah. Commercial flying, like being on a plane with 300 other people with coronavirus, they're saying is not uh, is selfish. Therefore, if you're going to take a vacation, drive your EV and go local. Don't burn jet fuel. And three, four, five percent less traffic in airline traffic that year. The airlines are scared to death that she might, in your generation, the generation after yours, what do they call them? I don't know. Oh, Gen, Gen Z, Z plus? That's what <laughs> no, Disney Gen C. Be. I heard Jet connected generation, Gen yeah. C. Okay. Anyway. The people That's after millennials. The alphabet over. That's yeah, better. whatever. Start over. Yeah. Gen C uh, is um, after them is Gen D doofuses. Yeah. Just, they're going to have no concern about anything. They're, they're going to watch this, by the way. They're going to watch D. this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm still waiting for those blobs. No, but from think the about movie. that. Think about 
Like your yeah, generation doesn't yeah, yeah. think like, oh, you know what? We should just not fly in airplanes. Well, right, but this changes the thought pro. Like ideally, this changes what leadership is focusing on. I would just jump in and say, uh, when you're, you know, this, this has nothing to. This is just my personal opinion, but it's also economic theory. Greenhouse gases are pollution, and pollutions are supposed to be paid for by things, and they're not currently. So it's up to the person and and companies like Amazon and Microsoft and Delta recently to voluntarily pay extra money to fight climate change. And it's pretty remarkable that companies are doing that without any law or what regulation that, requiring or them to. is the new thing? Environment, social, something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Vox just did this story. <laughs> Air travel is a huge contributor to climate change. A new global movement wants you to be ashamed to fly. Greta Thunberg gave up flight flights to fight climate change should you um well i wouldn't say be ashamed to fly but just be aware that flying contributes like two percent of the greenhouse gases in the world but also then you see delta is now making it possible to offset like the carbon impact of your flight that's not like a product they would have offered three years ago let alone delta is planting a ton of trees yeah wait what is delta doing delta is going carbon carbon neutral neutral, starting march 1st uh they're gonna buy carbon offsets yes yes Fascinating. Microsoft Loads of carbon offset. Microsoft that's going to be a lot of carbon offset, right? I wonder oh, what that yeah. costs. That's how Tesla made a lot of money in the early days is the other Selling car companies. Yeah, the other car companies had to sell a certain number of cars. They were losing money every time they sold the Volt because they couldn't get anybody to buy because it's a terrible car. Yeah. Bolt, Volt, whatever these. I think they didn't sell a yeah. single one. They, they, one they sold so many and they were costing them 100 to make. They were yeah. selling them for 40, but they had to sell a certain percentage of their cars. As electric, in order to hit the standards, especially mm-hmm. in California. Yeah, the so Tesla's standard. like, we'll just, uh, just we'll give you our credits. You give us cash, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. you would see this like giant, like There's hundred a million marketplace for this. Yeah, yeah, and that could be very renewable powerful. energy credits and that kind of thing. You know what? One of the biggest things is is these giant container ships from China mm-hmm. to America. Uh-huh. They burn like one type of fuel until they get out of into the open seas, and then they're like, you know, yeah. what would be good. Let's burn the dirty fuel because. We're cheaper. in a no regulation. It's cheaper, and we're in a no regulation, regulation, um, well, you know, at sea. And so they burn this horribly destructive fuel, and they're responsible for like a fifth or something crazy of the emissions. Mm. Just those container ships, and there's not a lot of them. There's a couple hundred. Well, you also saw similarly that New York Times report over the last couple of weeks about the methane leakage and the impact that's had, and that hasn't even been measured or calculated into a lot of these climate What's scenarios. That from? Um, just generally from certain industries, methane is just not, we don't really pay attention to how it's uh-huh. leaking and it just does. So with the airline, you know, basically when you take a flight, you're paying 500 bucks, right, Jason? Yeah. But you're also generating some pollution. So I want to go back to that ashamed point. Yeah. It's not that you're ashamed. You're just a little guilty that you know you're polluting, yeah. but you're not paying for it. Right. And so, so if it costs a hundred dollars extra to plant some trees, or, or five dollars. I don't know what the amount. Whatever is. it is, yeah, it'd be just. Then fine. at least you're, you know, you're having a full transaction that yeah. pays for all your costs. You know, what would be really good is you know how they Bloomberg made people put the number of calories on stuff. Mm-hmm. That really changed my behavior because you know, yeah. uh, you know, the maple scone at Starbucks. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's like I mean, a whole day's worth. It's like six hundred calories. I I love that maple. So this scone. is called the nudge. Mm-hmm. The nudge. Yeah, what making the calorie count bigger. So that little like putting information in a yes. different way, yeah. it nudges you to maybe make a different decision. Well, and you know what? Miraculously- It doesn't force you to though. You still have your freedom. They still had that maple scone. And then I noticed when they had to put the calories on, you know what they did? What? Mini scones. <laughs> and I look at the mini scones. I was like, those look like European scones, but they're 150 calories, not 600. 
So I'll but take, you're buying two of them. I'll take two, <laughs> and I'm halfway to victory. So the nudge is different than the uh, than the big soda ban that was in New York a few mm-hmm. years ago. That was a great because idea. a nudge doesn't limit your freedom. It still lets you buy as many as you want. So you guys are Bloomberg, aren't you? <laughs> that was what we were getting to with the whole pod, right? I think that's. I know you guys are yeah. Team Bloomberg. Please tell me you're Team Bloomberg. What do you? Yeah. Right, let me ask you this way: Would Bloomberg <laughs> be a great president? Do you think he could do the job? Let's start there. I think well, he could do the well, job. As a New Yorker, I can say it was very interesting to be living in New York when he was running the city. It was a great city. Because he took it, it from a different well. place. Yeah, absolutely. Left it in a great place. It was a great place. And he really fought hard for education. Yeah. Mistakes were made on some things, but otherwise a great mayor. I mean, you think of where New York City was after September 11th yeah. and where it could have gone, where the financial indis- where the financial district could have gone, where yeah. all those banks could have gone. Yeah. It's, it's a miracle how some parts of the city were able to rebound and- he was a key part of that. Oh, I think him and Amy. Oh, Klobuchar. I, like, I like her. I like her. I think she's kind of like right down the middle. She'll get like the boring moms and, <laughs> you know, like Warren's well, a little Amy, bit too upset. Amy would be a play for like, you know, you know, you got the spectrum right here. Amy would be like, we can win with this. Right in the middle. The middle of America. But that's not what's won the past elections. Oh, no. I think those there's some of those blue and pur- those purple states that we need to win, like Florida and Pennsylvania. I just don't think Bernie can win that after all this. I don't you know. You guys really burn. Yeah. Oh, you're not Bernie bros, are you? Not Bernie bros. That's good to know. <laughs> all right. Listen, this has been amazing. Come back on the pod anytime. Congratulations on Jason. getting those Robin Hood chairs. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. We should do this conversation again, by again? the way. Again? No, wait, did you guys move out to San Francisco? Yeah, you guys we're are right there. We're like, yeah, we're right near here. Do you live in the city or do you live in Oakland? Or I in drove the actually to from California from Vermont because I was ashamed to fly. <laughs> <laughs> Greta Thunberg changed you into driving. Did you he have like a little Greta thing. Thunberg Jesus on your dashboard the whole time? Talking Jack to was you? in neutral the whole time. Actually. No, I, I, went down I, I put up the sail. And then you go down I and then you coast the through the plane. Coast to the middle. I sailed on the land like a kite. You did. You put up a. You went five miles an hour. Yeah. It took you two years to get here, but here you as are. Why did he get here? But you yeah. guys live in San Francisco proper? Uh, no, I I lived in San Francisco for one year, but then my wife got a job in Palo Alto, so oh, I moved great. down to be close to work. And Perfect. I live uh, up in the north part of the city. It's okay, been great. Yeah, yeah, yeah in San sure, Francisco. Sure. So I got to go to Antonio's Nut House. You do. Which so you're down about. in Palo Alto. No, I'm in Menlo Park. In Menlo Park, it's yeah. great. It Isn't is. It, yeah. It's weird being in California, and there's like it's warm, and there's sun. It's and bizarre. Then, I miss my Four Seasons, man. Yeah, it's a very it subtle weird. seasonal change. You guys get those New York pants, don't you? Every two months, <laughs> you're like, "Why did I do that?" You get the well, New York pants. It gets it gets we, wider each. Year. When you get out of the subway in New York, you feel alive. Oh my yes, god! Yes, you're you, part of it. You look down your phone. You're, you're like, in oh, the thick of it. Fifteen thousand steps today. That's like a whole week in Menlo Park. <laughs> The best part about New York is like everybody's in it together. You get off the subway, you're in the middle of it, you walk into Pastis or Balthazar, anywhere, Odeon, and all of a sudden you're striking up conversation with yes. five different people, you're having a beverage, and everybody talks to you. What do you do? Oh, you're in arts. Oh, what do yeah. you do? Advertising. Out here, it's and like- you know what? New York don't even make bartenders give more free drinks than any other bartenders. Absolutely. Out here, they give you free iced tea, <laughs> but that's it. Jason, I'm curious <laughs> for your take on this. Heard this over the weekend and I like it. Um, New Yorkers, maybe not the most polite, but the most friendly. San Francisco, maybe not the most friendly, but the most polite. Yeah, that would be yeah the reverse. Yeah, it is. There's a little bit to that. Yeah. There's a little bit to that. I prefer, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna leave New York, yeah. I like LA. As I tell people, LA is the love child yeah, between Hawaii David. and New York. You go <laughs> right in the middle. 
It's got like all the culture of New York. It's yeah. got all the vibe of New York. It's not one dimensional, even though, you know. It's got the bagels of New York. Multi-industry. Yeah. yeah, multi-industry town. And it's beautiful and it's warmer. Out here, like it's a little bit of a bummer. It's, it reminds me of New York in the late 70s, early 80s, just with the crime and the craziness. Yeah, but here. I mean, where else? This is pretty cool. You know, you wake up. You walk outside, you know, you could be going on a hike five minutes away from your home. That's that is part. absolutely breathtaking. And then you're on your way up to Napa and then you're surfing. You're doing like the California hat trick in eight hours. You could be it's skiing if you put your mind to it. I, listen, I just did three days in Tahoe and yeah. it was 50 degrees on the mountain during yeah. the day, 20 at night. And we're doing spring skiing in t-shirts. It yeah. was unbelievable. I think my neighbor's making olive oil. The next day. Yeah. Your neighbor's making olive oil. I think so. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. You can do anything here. It's it's a pretty great city. Uh, great place also to come and, uh, you know, do a couple of years for your career. That's what I think this is going to become. I think it's going to become like a college town. Mm. You do four, eight years. Boom, you're done. Uh, here we go. This is I am Harald. I just want to live in a city where with the diversity of New York City, the weather of L.A. and the tech scene of San Francisco. Is that too much? Yes. Same. All right, boys. Continued success. Say hello to everybody. And if you haven't signed up, go get the Robin Hood snacks, uh, the newsletter, the podcast, everything. Great job, boys. It's all right, snacks.robinhood.com. And snacks, snacks daily. Snacks daily is the snacks podcast. daily. <laughs> now, you don't make recommendations of what stocks to buy. No, we don't. Right. But you talk about them. No. What's we... your favorite stock right now? What's your favorite company? Well, we cover the news. So it's the no, most personal news stories Personally, to cover. which which company that's public mm. do you each personally love the most? I personally love- You're not saying to buy it. Just you personally love mm. it. You love the management. You love the product. You love the brand. Oh, okay. I love the product of Lululemon. Mm-hmm. The menswear is incredible. Oh, I'm wearing their the pants Lululemon right now. Pants. I'm wearing their pants right now. Are you wearing ABC? Let me see this. Let me see this. And everyone look asks those. me where those pants are. You know what? You look like you're wearing slacks, but you're really wearing sweatpants. Look at those stretchies. You look That's great. The thing. They, you can dress it up. You can dress it down. You could do yoga in those, couldn't you? I have done. You it. only do yoga in them. So you're really wearing yoga pants. So to I work. think I think the market that they've conquered in women's wear. It's just going to come to men's, and then somehow they're going to expand to the office space. Look, I'm I'm in the office. You're in the office with pants on. I'm not wearing pants. You guys watch Marvel's Miss Maisel? By the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so good. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not I, wearing pants. Nick and I both own stock of Lululemon. Yeah, we should say okay, that. Okay, now. True. What is your favorite? I, and this is a stock I don't own, but I like to say I wish I had, because I remember talking about when they were affected by a certain issue. Oh, Chipotle. I'm so impressed with the level of innovation that they've been able to do. And Jack and I covered this in the news. That is a company that was down on its luck. Stock had plummeted 40%. Sales had fallen apart five years ago. Completely different company now. They recovered. They've recovered because they've got a new leader in charge. Hmm. Um, they, Taco Bell guy. Taco Bell guy. He's taken the lessons from Taco Bell, and it's been fascinating to see them play out. They created this idea of walking, or they popularized the idea of walking up and then just going down the, the line. Assembly line. The, the assembly line. Fast casual. Fast casual there's, assembly there's line, the though. the Chipotle is, of Greek, the Chipotle of pizza, Indian pizza, 800 degrees, whatever. Yeah. You go down the line. Right. That's they, the going down the line. Thing. Now, that's, that's, that's a public company, but what Jack and I like to say is we probably think the most innovative food and beverage company right now, probably Sweet Green. Yes. Sweet Green. You order ahead. Everything on the menu is so delicious. How do they front the table? The I thing? think the calorie counts are off, though. Like the, they're too delicious. <laughs> the to squash is too sweet. Yeah, that the squash me. is too sweet. <laughs> it's like a steroid injection of honey in there. Yeah, it's, it's but I love the innovation of like My, how they deliver, how they get the food. To yeah, you, you order you, ahead and they put it on a rack. You come in, you just take it. And they're doing that at offices now. Where Panera is doing it your too. Office is filled yeah. up with sweet greens. It's creative. Uh, in China. They had a number of places that were doing like soup and noodles and mm. they became incredibly popular line out the door. They investigated. Turned out they were putting opium, you heard it, in the soup. People were going, getting 
H-A-F. That's what the millennials <laughs> say. It means angry? happy think, as oh, frack. I think I Gen D angry. says that. Gen I think D that's says a millennial that. thing, right? You guys say it's lit AF? No, we say, H-A-F? We say things are Gucci. They're Gucci. Yeah. Gucci again, Gucci again, Gucci again. It's Gucci, but people were getting their soup and their noodles and they were getting H-A-F, high that's as we, F. That's what we call a moat. On opium. Can you imagine <laughs> if that happened in America? Like you're in New York and we all go crazy for these Shanghai dumplings in yeah. Chinatown as a line out the door. This would be a great Seinfeld episode or a Larry yeah. David episode. Yes. And Larry David is putting whatever, op- cocaine in the, in the dumplings. Something in this the This is dumplings. a follow-up Did to you the get soup Nazi. Six shrimp and this pasta primo. I got there? twenty shrimp. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, oh uh, good place for you guys to go in town. Hakkasan. Have you been to Hakkasan? No. Yet? Which town, by the way? Power in San Francisco, go to Hakkasan. Yeah. And then when you're in San Mateo, go to Thai Shokin. T A I S H O K E N. Okay. Thai Shokin has dipping ramen noodles. The noodles come in one side. They have the broth in the other. This is a place that started in 1950 in Tokyo. They got yeah. two locations there. The grandson brought it to America and opened the first location in San Mateo. They used the Yelp. Have you used Yelp waitlist? No. We no. Just it's heard new, they right? expanded to that. Yelp waitlist is amazing. You just open up the app and it's like, there's a waitlist of six people here. Would you like to join the waitlist? You say, yes. Oh, it's like, that's, that's final. Come why? to the restaurant at 7. I don't understand that. why that hasn't existed. How come this took so long? It's like, come back to the restaurant at 742 and see the maitre d'. And then you look at your phone. It's like, come to the restaurant at 737. Oh, my God. And they just text you. Come quicker. Your seat's available. And then you can leave the waitlist. Or you can change wow. that. I want four people instead of two. Amazing. And then you show up and it Good. works. But anyway, with Tai Shokin, you got to do the Yelp waitlist. Mm-hmm. And Tai Shokin, oh, the dipping noodles. But Hakkasan, you want to get. The dim sum, they make an amazing dim sum, like uh, sorted, but they make Peking duck. Well, we'll all go there at some point. You know we've only been here out for a year, so this is yeah. th- keep the recommendations coming, Jason. And we- if you want Indian, you go to Burlingame Rasa, R-A-S-A, Rasa, Michelin-starred yeah. Indian food. You get the chicken really? makhni, non bread, delightful. You know the butter chicken that you get like on the Lower East Side? Yeah. Same situation, but like better. Michelin-starred Indian place, very rare. We should do dinner here and then back in New yeah, York. Yeah, we could do it. We could, we could do, do it, both. Yeah. New York, place called Decoy, um, which is part of Red Farm. But anyway, it's called Decoy. D E C O I. Oh, so Chinese. Decoy. It's a Jewish guy uh-huh. who has mastered Peking duck, <laughs> and he also makes like uh, dim sum with like Jewish uh, ingredients. And so he's got like uh, uh, a brisket inside yeah. of a dumpling. So he's mixing the metaphors yeah, yeah, yeah. and doing this like fusion thing. Amazing. Decoy in New York. This is like that Ivan Ramen. Have you heard of that in Tokyo? It's like a guy from Scarsdale, Jewish guy, moved out there. And now he's got the top rated ramen in Tokyo. You want to go to Izzy's in Crown Heights. I okay. go there with my rabbi. <laughs> Don't get the brisket. They overcook it. Yeah. But it's around by the Chabad uh, in Crown Heights. And it's called Izzy's. It's kosher. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to be Jewish to go. Okay. And they have the best beef ribs I've ever had in my life, including in Austin. They're the best, Jerry. The, the best. best. The best. <laughs> unbelievable. I'm huge. It's unbelievable. <laughs> All right. Listen, boys. Uh, everybody follow Nick of New York and T-B-O-Y Jack. T-Boy Jack. T-boy the best T-boy one yet. Jack. T-Boy Jack. Uh, we'll see you all next time on This Week's Service. Bye-bye. <laughs>